now tuned in to the cold hard truth. Cayman's number one hard-hitting live podcast show, where we feature some straightforward conversations on political, social, and celebrity news, and all things happening in the Cayman Islands and around the world. This show was created to give the people a voice and a means of being involved and informed without any filters. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. We bring you the tea. Piping hot, so grab your favorite beverage and join the conversation via WhatsApp at 324-1612. Email tips at caymanmorrowroad.com. Now, here's your host, Sandy Hill, broadcasting live from the beautiful Cayman Islands. How is everyone? Let me just adjust my camera tidbit here. Um, there we go. Happy Monday. Looks like everyone's off to a slow start this morning. Hi, Miss Barbara. Good morning to you. How are you? I believe kids are on midterm break, so I don't know if that's why everyone is doing something else today. But hopefully, we'll have some good folks um, jumping in. 
Um, for some reason, my WhatsApp isn't working. So I'm trying to send my guests the link and we're gonna have to find an alternate option for doing that. So just give me one quick second here. So how was everyone? How was the weekend? We had, I think, a relatively um, uneventful weekend as things go, I suppose, here in the Cayman Islands. Um, some weekends are a little bit more crazy than others. Uh, so this past weekend, we didn't have any major traffic incidents. There was a fire yesterday, which is kind of weird. Um, but other than that, there wasn't anything you know incredibly crazy going on. Let me just see what's going on. Is anybody else having any issues with um, the WhatsApp this morning? It's a bit weird. Is WhatsApp down? It says this site can't be reached. Huh. All right. Let me, um, I'm going to have to send my guests <laughs> the link by email because for whatever reason, I think WhatsApp might actually be down. Strange. Wow. Um, yeah, it keeps saying that I can't connect. So there you go. You've always got to have more than one method of uh, bringing things online. Maybe that's why no one's here because my WhatsApp group has forgotten that we are live. I'm not quite sure. All right, we'll keep an eye on that situation. See what we can figure out here. Um very bizarre okay so it was a good weekend um i must say i'm just trying to see if i can figure anything out um right so it was a good weekend um is there something else going on with the internet now i'm now i'm starting to question my own internet because no pages are loading for me at this particular moment. Let me just try something simple like google.com. Okay, so that loads, but no WhatsApp and no Facebook loading. Hmm. Okay, I think we might have a WhatsApp outage. Why don't we have a quick look? I know today is not Tech Thursday, however, um, technology is such an important part of our lives that sometimes we just have to see what is going on otherwise, right? So maybe there's some sort of an outage today. Um, which does happen, you know, it's not entirely possible. And that would explain um, why we may not have as many people on the stream this morning either, because if Facebook isn't working for them, maybe they can't get on. So good morning to Catherine. Good morning, Carol. Carol says, all seems a bit slow with mine too. Yes, isn't it weird? Uh, let me just try to see if there's a WhatsApp outage or anything going on. Yep, it keeps saying connection timed out. Facebook page won't load. My Facebook app isn't loading. So I think it's fair to say that we have some sort of a an outage. Like the Facebook app is just not, this is like my page manager app. And folks, as you can see, it is completely blank. Not loading at all. Let me just try the regular outside of the Facebook pages app. Let me just try the regular one and see what is going on. I'm going to close out all of my apps. Um, isn't it amazing how much we rely on technology? This is how we communicate, you know? 
um, regular Facebook app. That one seems to, at least it comes up. I think it might actually be, yes, that one might be loading. Um, yeah, that's sort of loading. Not particularly well, but um, it doesn't look like it's updated anything in eight hours. Hmm. So there is such a thing as a WhatsApp outage map detector. And it seems like based on the map, we sure do have an issue here. Um, so give me one second here and I'm gonna try to figure out what's going on for you guys. There appears to be some sort of an outage that is impacting us and a few other places in the world. So I'm gonna bring this up so we can all have a look at this. It's quite strange actually. Uh, but there you have it, modern technology, folks. We rely on it and we hope that it works and every once in a while it just does not work for us. I'm supposed to have a guest this morning, but I don't even know if he'll be able to get my message. <clears throat> but here's the outage map. So looks like parts of South America, Central America looks covered, Mexico, and um, that big spot over the US, is that just like Florida and us <laughs> that's got an outage here? I'm not even sure. But yeah, it looks like there's something going on in the world of um, WhatsApp this morning. I'm just trying to see if we can see exactly um, what might be happening. So I'm checking just tech news in general. Let me see here, technology news. Um, hmm. Strange. Okay, so it looks like Facebook finally loaded for me on one screen. Let me just see if WhatsApp will load. But yeah, it's a little bit slow. But anyway, the show shall go on. I see the numbers kind of picking up. So maybe the issue is slowly resolving itself. But folks, it looks to be some sort of a um, outage this morning that is impacting both WhatsApp and um, even Instagram. So I'm just looking at some numbers here. So Instagram at 5.57 a.m. There's an outage complaint that started and um, looks like uh, there's something ongoing with Instagram from late yesterday. And we possibly have an issue with, um, with Facebook as well as WhatsApp. So yay, WhatsApp finally came up on my computer. I see Alec is waiting to join the show. I was actually trying to message him this morning via WhatsApp and it just wasn't loading. It kept telling me, check your internet connection. I'm like, um, the internet connection looks pretty good. 
So uh, Cameron says that we need to launch our own satellite. Uh, I love when people say things like that because you have no idea what would be involved in that. That is no um, small task, folks. Not by a stretch of imagination. Um, that's like Trump saying that he's going to launch a satellite any minute now. And I kind of chuckle because although he may have the resources available to him, he makes it sound so incredibly easy. Well, we'll just uh, create our own space station and launch everything that we feel like launching. And you're kind of like, okay, then. Sounds like a great idea in theory. But... Um, the practicalities of it are a whole other situation. All right. So I think we can kind of get moving here. Um, so Cameron, Carol, Miss Barbara, how was your weekend? There was a car fire yesterday. Did you guys see that? Was that not like super weird? Um, I was really trying to ascertain what happened with the car fire? A number of you sent me some video footage of it. It kind of looked like someone said in one of the videos that uh, the individual may have actually hit a wall. But I, I got another video late last night that was like very, very close up. And I'm not so sure. I'm going to see if I can download this one because this one is quite um, amazing actually to see. But I'm not entirely sure that it actually hit anything. It's weird how these car fires start sometimes. But uh, yeah, they uh, just like, boom, the car just decides to blow up and, and it's crazy, right? And of course, any of us who have to drive a car, when you see something like that, you think to yourself, oh, how safe am I? Good morning, Scott. Scott is saying everything is slow for him this morning as well. Hi, Ervalyn. How are you? Catherine is joining us from the big US of A. Um, Cameron says start a GoFundMe page. Oh my gosh. Happy Monday, Cameron. Andy, good morning to you, my dear. Carol um, says, what was the crash by the Ritz earlier on Friday night or early Saturday morning, two cars head on? Mm. Um, Carol, I feel like someone sent me that footage, but it never made it because sometimes if we get something a little bit late, especially with car accidents, I'm like, when did this happen? We totally missed the boat on it. And so, um, you know what someone did send me that I'm waiting on some information on and we'll reach out to the RCAPS today about that. But apparently there was a fight yesterday at the Marriott. As a matter of fact, let me just send the RCAPS um, a request for information. to see if anyone was arrested. I mean, we have the video of it, so we know for sure that um, it definitely did happen. But you guys are gonna be surprised when you read this story, what the fight was about. I mean, people just need to calm down, it's crazy. 
Marshall, thank you for joining in. Hello, Brandon. Okay, I think it's fair to say that we're probably pretty much back up. I see that uh, some numbers are definitely rising. So um, on, on Friday, we got additional word about the, um, did I say the Marriott? I meant to say Moritz. Moritz. And you know, the last time there was an issue at Moritz, um, they got upset that we were like reporting it and they were all quite happened that way. And I'm like, okay, well, feel free to tell us how it did happen. This was the family who had a little bit too much of a rambunctious weekend and the husband got cut in his hand. Well, the manager, because you know it's all about damage control at some point, the manager was like, no, he self-injured himself, yada, yada, yada. And I said, okay, well, we will certainly include that in the description, but we do know for a fact that um, there were people who were very much um, saying that in fact, there was an ongoing situation with this couple. So I'll be interesting to hear now what the manager has to say about this one. Not that we're blaming the property. I mean, do not get me wrong. Crazy people going out, having too much of a good time and one too many drinks certainly is never the management's fault. But, um, you know, if we report that an incident happened at your property or people staying at your property or having brunch at your property, then, hey, it is what it is. Cindy, good morning to you. Did I say good morning, Brandon? Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, so Cindy says that the person heard a noise and ran. Good thing she did because that would have been it for her. Which... Which incident are we referring to? Is that the crash by the Ritz or the fire incident on the waterfront yesterday? I'm not quite sure which one. Yesterday afternoon, I kind of felt like everywhere you went, there was an incident that was preventing you from going in that direction. So Sound Road, the Water Authority was digging up the road, laying down some pipes. And then we had the incident in the waterfront. So part of the waterfront, South North Church Street was blocked. And then there was another incident. Um, where was that one? There was another blockage somewhere else as well. Another accident, I think it was. Um, Yeah, so it was kind of one of those things that if you were out and about in the early afternoon yesterday, it was challenging for you to maneuver through Georgetown for sure, because there was always something going on. Um, so there was the fire incident. There was, I'm just trying to recall what else. There was, um, oh gosh, there was a couple of things that was just was like crazy. And I thought to myself, huh. This is actually the perfect day to go nowhere, <laughs> to stay home. 
All right, let's see what else we've got going on. Uh, Ervalyn says, I'm fine with that. Good morning to Somerset. Good morning, Siobhan. Hello to the beautiful Teresa. By the way, let me do one of my morning greetings. Um, how you doing? We'll do that one, the how you doing one. Good morning, Miss Edith. Larry joining us from New York. Debbie, sunshine and ready to go. And of course, Miss Sue is here for it. So I think we've got enough people now where I'm not any, I'm no longer worried about what was going on with the internet for a second there. I'm thinking, where is everybody? Either everybody fell asleep yesterday and had one too many and decided to just sleep in this morning or there's something definitely going on. But listen, I know you guys like the back of my hand. You're here for it at every given opportunity. So good morning to Elizabeth as well. Um, I do want to do a quick birthday shout out. I'm just trying to pull up the photo here of my dear friend. I'm going to tell you guys who this is here in a second. So lots of birthdays over the weekend. Um, people were celebrating. We'll talk about COVID maybe tomorrow because a lot of you are getting a little bit concerned now because all of our numbers pretty much with the exception of the one child that was like a wheat positive, all of our most recent numbers um, have been spiking because of tourists coming in. And thankfully we are catching them um, you know, and I, I keep hearing people say, why are we not testing before people come in? I don't know how many times we have to actually have this conversation, but I guess we're going to just keep saying it until it's embedded in people's head. But pre-testing does us no good. It only tells us at that particular moment in time, if the person actually had the virus, when they come ashore, it doesn't tell us when they come ashore, if they have it when they come ashore. And that is why pre-testing is kind of like, it's just to have a little bit of additional information maybe, but the chances of someone having it at the pre-testing stage, I don't even know what the chances are, but that doesn't help you. So it doesn't help you to say, oh yes, let this person in or not let this person in, because what you're gonna find happening is the positive results actually do not pop up until um, a period after they have been exposed. So if they get tested five days before traveling, two days before traveling, even at the airport, that is not necessarily going to be any degree of, of comfort to you. And, um, you know, I wish that people would try to understand that. That's why that 14 day sort of incubation period, if you will, is so critical to us catching people coming in. That's why we have to quarantine people for that period of time. Now we had reached out to government about some of the government officials coming on the program because I know some of you had some questions that you wanted answered and we're still working on that for you. So don't think that I've forgotten. We have not yet been able to get any sort of confirmation, but you know, I'm hopeful that um, we can have some information on that front soon. But we're gonna bring Alric here in because we do know that Alric actually has a, a conference call meeting this morning. But just a quick note, did you guys see this story over the weekend about this young man? He's um, Ukrainian, a fitness guru, 33 years old, um, by all accounts, you know, a healthy young man. And he was one of those persons on social media who was going on and on about the fact that COVID is fake. 
and it's not real and not to believe it. Well, this is why you listen to the experts and not a guy who is, a, I guess, probably a self-made um, fitness enthusiast and social media influencer because lo and behold, he actually died over the weekend, which is so incredibly sad. Such a handsome fella. Looks like he's the picture of health. Of course, looks can be deceiving, but I'm just saying, you know, he obviously takes health and fitness seriously, according to him. Well, he used to anyway. He's now deceased. He has died of COVID. After spending eight days in the hospital, he did have a change of heart. And he did say that, um, you know, this thing is real and that you should take it seriously. Unfortunately, it was a little bit too late for him because they discharged him from the hospital and then he was readmitted and within 24 hours of him being readmitted, he died of COVID-19. So it's no joke, folks. Deaths in the Caribbean continue to rise as well. But like I said, um, tomorrow we'll have a look at uh, some of those numbers and some of those things. Um, I want to encourage you, if you live in the swamp area, folks, there was a story that we did on Thursday, and no, it was actually on Saturday morning, but there's a robbery, a burglary on Thursday morning, around 10 o'clock in the morning, from someone walking the neighborhood in swamp. So this family is begging for your assistance. We do have a lead already that we provided to the family, but if you know of anything, it seems like it could be someone who just walks around the neighborhood, either on her bicycle, or otherwise, and she went into their house and helped herself to um, some of their, some of the things that they've worked so incredibly hard for. So she stole a MacBook. They've got the serial number. So if she tries to unload this anywhere, it's not gonna be of much use to her. And in fact, I don't know much about, I'm not a MacBook owner, but I'm assuming that if the MacBook security is as tight as the security for um, for the Apple devices like the iPhone. What is she going to be able to do with MacBook? She's not going to be able to get into it in any way. So the pawn shops need to keep an eye out for a MacBook, a Bulova watch, Tide Cure, and Gucci watches. She stole six perfumes from men, Chanel sunglasses, two older model iPhones a Louis Vuitton and a Michael Kors handbag. So she got quite a loot there. And I'm assuming that she's going to be trying to offload these things um, as quickly as possible. So if you see anyone trying to offer these items for sale, they're looking for a female um, of, they said darker complexion, but the, the lawn guys who saw her didn't take particularly close notice of her because they were busy doing the lawn, but they did see her kind of going door to door. And they thought that she was, um, she had a bicycle and she had a laundry bag and they thought that she was either selling something or may have just been begging for donations or whatever. But apparently she may have, they think this is the best suspect they have gone into someone's house and stolen a large number of items. So really hard pill to swallow when you work incredibly hard. But anyway, Mr. Alric, good morning to you. How are you? Um, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. 
Now, Alec did a video on, I think it was on Friday, and I'm going to play that video first because that will lay the foundation for our conversation that we're going to have today. But really, the conversation is one that we've kind of had in the past before, but it's it's not something that you can have a single conversation on and then you're done. This has to be an ongoing dialogue because the truth of the matter is... Um, it's a bit of a reputational problem for us as Caymanians that I think that we need to address. And you know how they say that every lie might have an element of truth to it? And that's why you might actually believe it because there could be just that little smidgen of something historically that makes sense. And that's why you think, well, is this really a lie or is this the truth? So let's just have a look at Alec's video first, and then we're going to talk about some of the things that Alec has brought in, up in that. And naturally, if you have been um, a victim of people thinking just because you're a key man, you're, you're lazy, you're unmotivated, you don't want to work, then this is definitely a conversation that you want to tune in for and share with your friends. So let's have a look at the video first. One of the controversial comments that is sometimes made about key is that key are lazy, so they don't get jobs, they don't have qualifications, so they can't get the interview, can't get the promotion, can't get to advance in the working world. But I just want to clarify some of those um, misconceptions. A long time ago, maybe 20 years ago, when, when I was um, graduating college or before that, um, in high school, it was the case that not a lot of people had degrees and professional qualifications, but over the last 20 years, a lot of KMIs have gone away to school, gotten degrees, gotten trade, gotten skills, both here in Cayman and in London, Singapore, Hong Kong, globally. So we now have quite a number of KMIs who are qualified in a way that they were told to go overseas and qualify. So I think we have a whole bunch of competent Caymanians. I think the issue is the opportunity. So are they getting the opportunity for an interview to be considered for a job? And if they're being considered for a job, is there a level playing field in the way that they're evaluated for the job? And when they do get the job, is there training is there support? Is there an interest in having them move to the next level within the relevant company? What I would say is having worked in different big firms, uh, global firms, I would say that in Cayman, there is a push for new people coming to Cayman and training them and upskilling them making sure that they get good portfolios in their jobs, making sure that they get connected to the clients and do business development and marketing so that when it is time for promotion, those persons can say they've checked all the boxes, they've done all the right things in order to be considered for promotion and they have a wide range of networking contacts. What I would say is that aggressive hiring and training and promotion that is done for other people 
isn't necessarily done for Caymanians. So it's not that Caymanians are looking for some protectionist policy or the reinstitution of the Caymanian Protection Board. All Caymanians are looking for is an opportunity, uh, fair treatment, and the same sort of push and support for their hiring and training and jobs rather than being told that we are overqualified or we're too senior. So one of the things is a simple enforcement of the immigration law. Caymanians should be considered as a priority when they are qualified and competent Caymanians. And what I'm saying today is that we have many competent, qualified Caymanians to do jobs. They're just not having the opportunity. And that's one of the things that I would like to see changed is the simple enforcement of the immigration law. The biggest issue that we have in Cayman is a lack of enforcement of laws. So that's one of the things I would love to see. And I would just hope that excuses are not continuing to be made about why a Cayman can't be employed. Simply need to enforce the law, create an infrastructure that allows opportunities for training, hiring, and promotion, and we're good. All right, so Alric, thank you so much for that video. Like I said, um, Alric shared that with us, I believe it was on Friday or Thursday of last week. And uh, you made some really salient points there that I think need some further discussion because it continues to be an ongoing issue. So let's start at the crux of the problem, which is a little bit of a reputational issue. So Caymanians seem to have this reputation for being lazy, unmotivated. Um, they don't wanna work, they don't wanna show up in time. We seem to have something, and I mean, like I said, a lot of times there is some element of truth to um, a lie or a misconception that is out there. Where do you think this comes from? What's, what's the foundation of this rhetoric that you hear people continuing with on an ongoing basis? Well, I think, um you're going to find different types of workers in all countries. Mm -hmm. The issue with Cayman is Cayman is so small. Right. So whatever happens in Cayman, it tends to be overemphasized and everyone tends to notice it very quickly. Right. In a small country, if one, one person is late or if two people, two, people, two people are late, you're going to hear about it because it's mm -hmm. small. Other than that, what I would say is we are talking about people that come from different backgrounds. So in Cayman, you know, when you look at a seafaring history, you had very hardworking seamen that travel globally. So what I would say is Caymans do come from a hardworking stock of people, people who rise from the bottom to be captains and travel globally. Mm -hmm. One thing I would say, uh, the other thing I would say is within our industry, within our sectors, we have not been historically aggressive, relatively speaking. I say relatively speaking because when you look at the people that come from other countries to work in Cayman, some of them come from jurisdictions where, you know, the population is in the millions and you have 2000 applicants for a job. There's high com competition and it's a dog eat dog world. And the attitude 
towards getting a job and the difficulties faced are far different from what we experience in Cayman. So if we, if we look at it in an honest way like that, we can understand why when someone is coming from a big city to work in Cayman, uh -huh. they are already programmed to be aggressive, already programmed you know, to, to have that dog eat dog world mentality. Whereas Caymanians are very accommodating people, very kind, believe in working hard, but don't necessarily believe that it's, ne that it's necessary to cut someone's throat to get ahead. So Let me just pause you right there, um, Alric, because I think you've already made some interesting points that we could probably dig a little bit deeper in. Um, historically, we have had to be the ones to go overseas, and a lot of people don't know this. If you've recently arrived in the Cayman Islands, and perhaps if you're even in your 20s and 30s, and you don't know your full history, you don't recognize that Caymanians were the ones who had to go overseas and hunt for opportunities. And you have mentioned a perfect example of that, which is our seafaring history. And we have a very um, comprehensive seafaring history, if you will. And in fact, in case you guys missed it, this Heroes Day that's gonna be coming up this year is all about our seafaring history. So if you have someone, um, I'll just throw, in, throw this in there who was a seafarer or, you know, went out to sea, the National Heroes Day celebration for 2021 is going to be putting the spotlight on celebrating our seafaring history. And it, it's an amazing history. And I don't know if anyone has ever written any sort of comprehensive text on it. I'm gonna put the link here, by the way, in case you wanna nominate someone for this. Um, but yeah, I don't know if anyone who has written a comprehensive history on this, but I think it's important to understand how it ties in to the whole employment aspect. So there was a time when just the nature of what it was in the Cayman Islands, we did not have a lot of opportunities available to persons here. And at that particular time, it's the men who were the breadwinners of the family, um, not so much the women, they were still very much the homemakers and you know being at home and supporting the family in that very important role but they had to go abroad and look for work. And that is why so many of our men who are now in their um, 80s, 70s, maybe a few in that city range, but I'm just sort of thinking off the top of my head, like my dad would have been one of those individuals. I mean, he passed away you know, years ago, but he was in his 70s at the time. And that's been, gosh, almost 20 years now, but, you know, um, there's my uncle, uh, Raymond, who was an engineer in a number of different ships. So they start, they started at the bottom and they worked their way up. You know, there's Mr. Jackson that recently passed away in Cayman Brack, who again is another perfect example of that seafaring tradition. And there's so many men that as soon as they got an opportunity and talk about old fashioned networking, right? So maybe your brother went on a boat and then he was able to tell you, okay, this is the liner that you want to come to Texas or jump on, on board in Tampa. And that's why we have, you know, where Caymanians went in terms of travel, even within the US, we did a lot of the ports. So we went into the Tampa Harbor, the Tampa port. We went into Texas, um, Galveston area because there are ports in that region as well. Um, and that, that is how, you know, those men developed relevant skills. Now they came back and some of them were presented with opportunities within government 
private sector. Some of them started their own businesses. So I think by and large, Caymanians have always had a history of being go-getters and, um, and being um, entrepreneurs as well. But I do want to talk about Alric, how that transitioned into something very differently as a result of our early successes in the financial sector. And maybe, this is my opinion, it has done us a disservice being so incredibly successful and being able to just get a job like that. So Alvit, continue your thoughts then on um, where you were, which is basically, I like the comparison of saying, listen, we are um, comparing ourselves to, in to individuals who come from big metropolitan areas. So if you come from London or anywhere in the UK, I'm pretty sure it's bigger than the entire Cayman Islands, right? And so you already are um, competitive. You already know that, listen, I'm one in a um, law firm of a thousand people in the UK quite easily. And uh, that means in order for me to shine, I can't even shine in my own country. I've got to run to the Cayman Islands and then I'm one of a hundred people in a law firm and in five years I can become a partner. That's the dream. I can tell you that that is absolutely the dream for a lot of people in the UK is to go to smaller jurisdiction, BVI, you know, the Cayman Islands, um, you position yourself in the right law firm and you have a much higher opportunity to become a partner in that firm and to move up. And that's true of pretty much any sector. Unfortunately, Caymanians don't really have that opportunity right now in this day and time. So Alric, we go from a seafaring history, um, Caymanians being extremely hard workers. I mean, I remember my aunt telling me stories, she's now in her seventies, but when like Moritz first started, all of the staff were Caymanian ladies, all of the support staff, they were working in the kitchen, they were housekeepers, they were doing everything and they worked incredibly hard. You know, they didn't have a reputation of being lazy. And they went out and they worked a full day's work. Then they went back into their homes and they still were, you know, caregivers for their family. They were still cooking meals every single day, taking care of the husbands, the kids, everything. So how do we go from that type of history, which a lot of people may not be all that familiar with. And here we are in 2020 and people are now saying that Caymanians are lazy. They don't want to work. What happened? Um, my, my opinion is that we went from a seafaring history to growing a, a gr rapidly growing a financial services industry and rapidly growing financial services. We focused on foreign investment and foreign investors coming in. So almost all of our marketing was to encourage and grow uh, foreign, foreign investors wealth. In and, and make it easy for them to establish in Cayman um, for to, to, to explore different avenues for them to be comfortable and accommodated in Cayman and doing so and making such a large investment and, and foreign investors and others coming into Cayman, we totally forgot about growing our own people. So I think that is part of the issue as well. If we had an interest in growing our own people during this time, we would have set up trade schools from a long time ago. We would have linked scholarships that are given by the government to the growing demand in the industry. So if construction was going, growing, if hospitality was growing, 
we would have made sure that the scholarships that were given were linked to those to demand in those industries. We would, we would have also tailored the programs in the schools from the primary school level to create both a traditional route leading to financial services, meaning accounting, banking, law, and a second route, which would, which would have been a trade school route, which would have gone into hospitality, plumbing, air, AC, carpentry, et cetera. And so if we had done this a long time ago and created two different routes, we would have had students with two success stories rather than today where if someone has a vocational trade uh, skill, they seem to be looked at as, as less than. So part of this is the infrastructure and not ensuring that we have the infrastructure in place to grow our own. The other thing I think is that we have not been encouraging our young people to excel in certain areas. And I think this is both an infrastructural problem, problem and also parents have to have responsibility as well for teaching their children the right things about coping, how to, how to cope with the real world environment. Mm. Parents have responsibility. The people who create infrastructure, which is government, also has a responsibility to prepare students for reality instead of just churning out hundreds of graduates every year and not having a strong focus on the real world that they face. So school programs also have to be tailored to real world expectations. So I, I personally have a lot of friends who are qualified both with a trade and with a traditional degree in accounting or law. And even those qualified people are told various discouraging things and other people come into Cayman with less experience and get promoted above them. Okay, let me pause you right there. So is it entirely possible that um, part of this issue or this myth, if you will, we're saying that it's a myth, that it's a lie, it's a well-placed lie. There is a smidgen of truth to it that we have to take responsibility for. Now, here's what why I say that, right? Our successes of the um, 70s and 80s, let's not even go back to the 60s, but we can go back to when financial services really kicked off, meant that there were opportunities, particularly in the 80s and 90s, created for Caymanians, um, low-level opportunities, but it was a sort of situation where you could get up today, quit your job, and by this afternoon, you had another job. And would it be fair to say, and again, I wasn't actually, I mean, I, I'm a child of the, I guess, 80s. I was born in the 70s, but, you know, I started to kind of grow up in the 80s. And I wasn't here growing up for the most part. I had left the jurisdiction. But is it fair to say that there were people who took advantage of that situation and they helped to perpetrate this reputation that, oh, Caymanians don't want to work. They don't always want to show up on time and they feel like they are entitled to a job just because they are a Caymanian. And so they will come in if they if we do something or say something that they don't like, they don't have the resilience to stick with it. 
they're going to say, okay, I'm out of here. I'm done. Pick up their bags and leave. And because there were so many opportunities available, whether you're in the tourism sector, whether you were probably, you know, delivery services, restaurant, whatever, secretaries, it was easy to find another job. And so they just picked up and left and moved on. And through the process of maybe that happening, even on a small scale, that that created a um, reputation that Caymanians can readily, you know, go out there and find opportunities. But the reason why that is being done is because Caymanians are indeed lazy, they're unmotivated, and that sort of thing. What are your thoughts, um, Alric, and that being a possible contributing factor to this misconception that we're now dealing with? Again, we're, we're comparing the successful job environment in Cayman where when I was graduating high school, we certainly still had more jobs available than people. Uh -huh. So I think, uh, you know, it, it was easy to change jobs in those days. It's not that easy now. It's uh -huh. very difficult to change jobs now or even get an interview. In those days, yes, it's true. A person could, a Caymanian could leave one job this morning and get another job in the afternoon. But that is just a state of the affairs of the economy. It was, we did have benefits. Uh, we, had, we had a benefit of a good economy and we had that flexibility to move around. Not all people had a fair and equal treatment in their jobs in those days either. So we have to also look at the reason those people are moving around. Some people assume that they would have gotten better treatment, uh, promotion, salary, if they moved to another firm, they would move vertically upwards. But I think what many people experience is that the same sort of infrastructure was in place at other firms and they tend to move horizontally. So I think there's more than one reason to explain why Caymanians may have moved jobs in the past and it was facilitated by a good economy. Uh -huh. Now, when you talk about entitlement, uh, we, we do have an immigration law that says that, you know, the people who, sh who should be considered are Kimayans, permanent residents with the right to work. And lastly, any person who's ordinarily resident in Kiman. So you're, you're meant to consider that structure under the immigration law when it comes to jobs. The issue that we have now is when it comes to the actual immigration law, as you know, these days, you're supposed to register uh, with work, you're supposed to register those jobs with work, and Caymans are supposed to register with work. One of the issues there we have with the law, the operation of the law is that there is this ability for certain parties to apply for an exemption from registration on, on, on the work site. So if you're an employer, you do have, you do have that possibility of, of getting a, a, a waiver from cabinet. So um, if I could just bring up the actual wording. Um, it says the prospective employer, unless the prospective employer has been exempted by cabinet, mm -hmm board or by the director has registered a vacancy 
to which your application relates on work for 14 days. Basically, you have to, basically unless you get an exemption from cabinet, uh-huh. you have to register the job on the portal. But it's a very the, the the legal wording is very important. Unless the prospective employer is granted an exemption by cabinet. So I, I'm I'm not sure how many exemptions cabinet may have granted, but it would be significant, for example, if a huge firm if a couple of huge firms were granted exemptions, that means that they wouldn't have to place the job on the site. Uh-huh. So K would never be aware of the job. And so those permits would be constantly renewed. And I, I don't know if you want to move on from that point, but I was only, I was only going to mention, um, you know, what, what the immigration law says about training. I don't know at what stage the wording regarding training was changed on the regulations. Mm-hmm. But the wording for training says the board, the board or the chief immigration officer may require an applicant for the grant or renewal of a work permit to provide details of any program that he has designed to ensure that KMIs are provided with the instructions and practical experience necessary to make them fully qualified to carry out the job concerned. The issue here is that the way the word is, the wording of the law is the board or the chief immigration officer may require the applicant to provide a training program. Mm-hmm. Now, this is why I think that KMINs need to be more involved when these draft laws come out. Because in, instead of saying that the work permit holder may be required to have a training program, it should say shall. It, it should say shall be required to have a training program. And because shall has some, somehow been changed to may, then there seems to be no real legal obligation or any pressure that's being placed on an employer. I, I keep saying that we, every time a draft law comes out, we need to have a plain English version of that law so more Caymans understand the implications. So by the, the mere fact that the law, the regulations are saying that the applicant for a work permit may have that training program, we simply have people that just ignore it. Right. And not not only does the law make people feel entitled to just bypass Caymans, the attitude of the government in aggressively getting foreign workers in on the idea that foreign workers are more qualified than Caymans on the basis that foreign workers are better than Caymans, because you have that aggressive push by the government as well. So not only the government but big companies have that push to get into foreign labor, um, although sometimes out of preference for people that are from their own country. So we have two pushes, one from the employers and one from government that it wants this constant labor in. Um, you know, we, we've totally put Caymans on, on the side basically to get, you know, um, the lower administrative jobs. Uh-huh. Whenever you hear discussions um, in the government, for example, I hear about administrative jobs being available, 
But what about the highly qualified and composite K-Mines that we do have? They can take some of the management positions, director well, positions. Stick, stick, a, stick a pin right there, Alric. Um, I'm, I am keeping an eye on the clock because I do know that you have an 8.30 um, conference call. So whenever you have to go, just let us know. But before we get into that, I do want to read a few comments from um, individuals who are participating. So Cassidy says, the last I heard is that the CI government depends on the funds and work permits to spend back in the country. Any truth to that? Well, of course, um, work permit fees are probably one of the more lucrative areas um, that the government does collect uh, fees from. I mean, I've all often thought that work permit fees might not, especially for the sort of administrative, middle management style jobs, they're not high enough. And that is why companies don't mind, you know, whether it's even a secretary. Uh, companies don't mind paying for work permit fee because a lot of people think this is illogical. It is illogical that a company would work would pay for a work permit fee, hire an expat to do a job if they have a qualified K-Man to do it. But the logic doesn't flow all the way through if you're only stopping at that point, if you're only thinking of the initial fee that is involved. Because what tends to typically end up happening, there's a couple of things I think that are important to note. The first one is oftentimes you have employers who know that once they hire an expat worker, they can treat them like shit, like literally. They cannot pay their pension, they cannot pay their insurance, they can do whatever they want. And chances are that person is more likely to just sit back and take it because they don't wanna rock the boat. They know that even if they leave that job, they've gotta apply for another work permit. How the system works, Cassidy, is that your employer has to provide a release letter um, to immigration. There are some exceptions to that, but you know they hold that little carrot over the head of the work permit holder. So you almost feel like you are a slave in the Cayman Islands. So there are other reasons why um, someone is more than happy to, it doesn't just come down to finances in other words, right? Although there are some other financial implications why companies don't really mind paying a work permit fee. I mean, I've had people take out a work permit for someone, promise them a particular salary, and then when they got into the position, all of a sudden that salary was something different. And because they were here um, on a work permit, it was one of those situations where they were like, well, what am I gonna do? I've just tied myself into at least a one-year contract with this individual. Let me just hold it down and see what I can do, right? They weren't paying pension. They weren't paying health insurance. They were working them beyond what the contract said. And the person felt like they had no alternatives but to just sit back and take it. That's one of the unfortunate things that the work, per work permit system creates. But in addition to that, what I find is there is a network. I mean, Aldrich was talking about the fact that um, you have persons coming in from overseas. And I find that when they get here, they're also more inclined to hire their friends, their associates and family members from overseas as well. And it's not restricted to any one particular area. You know, all of a sudden like, oh, come to the Cayman Islands. I found a job as a domestic. And, you know, I found a good, good position with a family. So they encourage people to come and do the same thing as them. So I think the Cayman, ironically enough, is considered in many respects, the land of milk and honey. But the question is, is it the land of milk and honey for Caymanians first and foremost, which is the way that it should be. You know, I look at a lot of things that are happening worldwide. I'm gonna to get to some of your other comments here in a second, 
But we see this movement in the US, for example, I think the sole reason a lot of people, you know, elected Trump, but because he was, oh, let's make America great again. And this is all about Americanism and American protectionism and a protecting American interests. And um, he has done it probably not the best possible way, but there are people who've been very supportive of him. Yes, good. Let's put Americans first, you know, let's disregard um, the immigration contribution. Let's disregard immigrants that are even now Americans. I mean, I think they've gone a bit too far with the rhetoric, but there's this whole movement um, in that direction. We see the UK doing the exact same thing. And part of the reason why a lot of persons thought that voting for the UK to move away from the European Union was a good thing because they were having too much encroaching of um, persons from the EU coming into the UK and they claim taking up their employment opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what I find to be incredibly interesting is when the opposite happens. So when those same persons travel to someplace like the Caribbean, like the Cayman Islands, and we say to them, well, we feel like you're starting to um, encroach on us. So Alwick does have to take his call. So we're gonna let him go ahead and do that um, and come back to us here in a bit. But when we feel the um, encroachment happening, um, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things where uh, we're not allowed to complain about it. We're not allowed to have a voice. We can't say anything about it. And that's the difference, right? We're like, no, 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 no. You can't be pro Caymanian. That's wrong. That's not, that's not the thing to do. That's not very, um, you know, we're not thinking of our brothers in this world. And, you know, all of a sudden we're made to feel bad because we, we say, well, what about Caymanians? Why are we not getting the opportunities in our own countries, in our own country, first and foremost? No issues with anyone coming here whatsoever. But there was a reason why there used to be an immigration um, protection system in place, the Immigration Protection Board or whatever it was called. That was required, that was necessary. That has been done away with, it's been chipped away at. Um, this current government has chipped away at it in more ways than one even with the rollover policy, which we can talk about here in a little bit um, once Alric rejoins us. So Alric has had to go and do some client work and take a conference call. So let's continue with some of your conversations. So Cameron is saying, will labor unions work across all industries? I don't know about that, um, Cameron. I mean, I guess you guys can certainly let me know. I think labor unions have a role to play potentially in the process of protecting workers, as you say, across the board. But I don't know that labor unions would be set up to just protect Caymanian workers. So um, I think it is really a matter of, as Alric rightfully said, the immigration law is there and it offers some degree of protection. But even that has been eroded and chipped away at. And in fact, the most ironic part is there are people who sit on these boards and who process and approve work permit applications. You know, you've got the business staffing board and they themselves are often conflicted because they work for companies or organizations or they own companies and organizations that largely rely on foreign labor to be able to operate. And so there has to be an obvious conflict there. How can they be making decisions in favor of Caymanians when they have to sign off and approve these work permits every single day? And I must tell you for the first time ever, I recently saw a court in case, a, a court in case, a case in court 
that we are following. It was postponed the other day. And the charge is, now we have to see if the Crown makes out their case, but the charge is actually failing or lying to the immigration board about the fact that a Caymanian had applied to a work permit renewal. And I'm gonna talk about that here in a second, but Debbie has uh, to weigh in on the issue here. So Debbie says the discrimination will continue because the laws are not enforced to protect Caymanians. The buck stops with the government and new blood is needed. Very good point. Let me say this. The discrimination is real. If you're a Caymanian, there's no two ways about it. I often think about when I first returned to the Cayman Islands and people did not recognize fully that I was a Caymanian. You know, I had the super strong, not that it maybe changed a little bit, but I definitely had a stronger American accent after having lived there for 15 years. And so when I went in and applied for a job, they didn't know that I was a Caymanian until they said, okay, yes, we wanna give you the job. Um, let's see your credentials now. You know, Do we have to take our work permit for you? And I'm like, no, I don't require a work permit. I'm a Caymanian and here's my passport. And they were like, oh, okay. Um, what I also observed quite interestingly enough, is going into those particular, and I was in law firms in the legal environment, uh, going into that environment, I would be talking to my fellow Caymanians and I would hear their stories. And I myself, having been someone who was overseas and had no clue, quite frankly, what was going on here, I myself questioned whether or not their accounts of what was happening was accurate. So I myself was like, are you sure that Caymanians are being discriminated against in this way? And it didn't take me long, because I'm a quick learner, for me to recognize and for me to realize that absolutely those people were spot on. That's exactly what was happening. And then when you start to speak out about those issues, oh, oh, no, 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 no you get labeled as a troublemaker and you are part and parcel of the problem in the eyes of your employer. And so you're not permitted, you're not allowed to um, say, well, this situation isn't right. This shouldn't be allowed to happen. You know what I'm saying? And this is the unfortunate reality of what it is that we are living with. So Debbie, you're absolutely right about the discrimination. The discrimination is real. It is not something that is just a perception, but I have to admit that even me, when I first returned to the Cayman Islands, I thought it was merely a perception that people were having, and I was—I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, and you know, if I came to recognize that this was an issue, I think that a lot of other people have recognized that or knew that from the onset as well. And then there becomes the question of what is our political arm actually doing about it. That is the part that is um, the most concerning. How are they you know, making any relevant changes to the system to assist Caymanians? That's why Debbie says we need new blood. Um, Sue says Debbie and they want the big permit money too. So let's go back to this point that Cassidy raises uh, about the fact that um, you know, work permit fees do help support the government. And of course they do. It's it's like custom fees. 
I think customs is the one department that clears, like, you know, in terms of not having more debt than they bring in. Customs is like at the top of the line because customs makes money for government. The immigration department now works, makes money for government. But how much money is worth disenfranchising your people? And how much money is worth putting them in a far worse position than they would have naturally been? And does that really make any logical sense to do that? My opinion is it doesn't. Just having a look at some of your additional comments here. So I see Linda has joined the conversation. Give me one second, folks. Um, so Natasha says, not all Caymanians, and this is everywhere. Uh, Natasha, I'm not sure exactly when you say not all Caymanians, what part that comment was referring to. Hopefully you're saying that not all Caymanians are lazy because definitely the vast majority of Caymanians are not lazy individuals. They are very hardworking individuals. And yes, we do have a segment of our population who doesn't want to work. But as you have said, Natasha, you go anywhere in the world and you find that. What I find happenings and happens, and maybe this is a bit of um, where people get their misinformation from, when they come to the Cayman Islands, as Alwick said, Cayman is small. So you hear the stories right away of, oh, you know, Caymanians are this or that. So if you're an expat, you get introduced to those stories straight off the bat, and you don't get to hear the history of the Cayman Islands. You don't get to hear about our seafaring history. You don't get to hear about how Caymanians started the financial services industry and how they put certain things legislatively in place and otherwise, um, how they worked their backbones off to start a lot of the businesses that you now enjoy the services of. So whether it's like a Foster's Food Fair and A.L. Thompson's or whatever, those are Caymanian-owned businesses that started from little or nothing and have been built into, you know, relative success stories for the Cayman Islands. And so they're never told those success stories. They are just told to hyper-focus on the persons who don't want to show up to time, work on time, who don't want to do their jobs, who feel like they can continue to job hop. But do you know how many expats job hop? I mean, I've come across situations before. Um, even in the, um, there's a particular person that kind of comes to mind who's a hairdresser. And this person has changed so many jobs over the years that they've been here. And of course, immigration is supposed to have a policy against uh, job hopping for expat workers, because that's not to be encouraged when you're here in a work permit, but it does happen. There are people who change jobs all the time. And why are they changing jobs? No one's saying, well, that person's lazy. They have work ethic issues. When they're on the job, they're not focused on um, doing the client's hair or nails or whatever. They're chit-chatting about their personal business. You know, people don't hold them to account in the same way they would if that was a Caymanian employee who was doing those things. So I do believe that there are two very different standards by which people are operating. And um, do we have lazy Caymanians? Absolutely, a thousand percent. Do we have Caymanians who uh, don't understand the importance of a good work ethic in terms of the soft skills that you need on the job, showing up to time, you know, punctuality is important, dressing the part, all of those things, absolutely. But we also have expat population who does that as well. But they're gonna get a cover or a pass 
from their colleagues or others because, hey, it's a okay sort of thing. The other thing that I think is important to help put this conversation in perspective, right, is when you go to another country, so people come here to the Cayman Islands and your sole purpose is to come here for maybe five years, one year, whatever, to work and save some money that you can then take back home. What else are you going to do? And this is a serious question here. What else are you gonna do but come here and work? So you don't have your family here. You don't have any distractions. Um, depending on obviously your position, some people do travel with a husband and kids, but a lot of persons who are coming here in the restaurant, um, tourism sectors, even legal secretaries, they come here with a suitcase of clothes and that's it. Nobody in tow, no, nothing to really concern about, families back home, they'll video call them every once in a while, they'll WhatsApp them, whatever. But you can go to your job and sit there for 20 hour a day if your employer wishes you to do that. You don't have to go, oh gosh, you know, I, I gotta go home now because I've actually got to cook dinner for my kids or I've got an elderly parent or grandparent that I need to, to take care of or to see about or whatever. So there's also that in the, the reality of the work environment isn't exactly an even playing field, right? You've come here with the sole purpose of working and sending that money. So if you wanna work 24 seven, if your employer allows you to do that, you're in a position to do that. What else you gotta do? Work and go out for a couple of drinks and hang out for Sunday brunch and that's it. So Catherine says people don't even get an acknowledgement of receipt of the application when they apply for jobs. This is another issue that appears to be an ongoing issue that happens all the time. It's because they're not going to acknowledge it because then when they run to immigration and tell immigration that they never received your application, if you didn't bother to copy immigration in on that, well, they're gonna say, oh, maybe it went into the internet black hole and that's why we never received it. They'll come up with all sorts of fanciful um, explanations as to what happened to your application, Catherine. So maybe there is a logical reason from the perspective of the employer why they are refusing to even acknowledge an application. That's why now Works is set up where mandatory advertising goes through them. You apply through the Works portal and government knows that you've applied for the position. And I have to tell you, I was one of the first people, if not the first person years ago, to say um, once we had this whole, whatever it was before it was works, um, I forget what it was called now, but the agency where you could, where they had, the, they had a similar job portal, right? And I said, why is this not mandatory registration? I was the first person to say it. Alva Saku then said it later on, but I said, why, are we, why don't we have a system um, for government saying, okay, register your jobs, but it's optional. To me, that doesn't even make any sense. You may as well not have it if it's not mandatory. But you know, they, people always find a way around these things. So Cameron says similarities with the rapid rise and fall with Denmark. For anybody who wants context or cares, check it out. It's a good read. Um, Cameron, send us some links if you have any. Would be interested to see. Um, Sue says, yes, that's true. Too saw uh, this lots of times in them days, but there wasn't the amount of people here that there are now, and Alric is so right. Good morning, Mr. Walton. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us again today. Um, and so Sue talks about works. That's a whole other conversation, Sue. Uh, they need to get it together. 
they themselves do not help when people criticize, you know, Caymanians not qualified, da, 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 da. I've heard so many stories that I've actually witnessed it myself. I've got my own experiences where works actually will send you a job and tell you go to this job, go to this interview, and you are most certainly not qualified for the job, or it's not even in your sector. Uh, there was a time when I was registered at works and they were sending me to finance jobs and my background is a legal one. I'm thinking, why the heck are you sending me to a finance job? Finance and legal are not married in that way. Like it doesn't make any sense. So I find that the persons that they have in the works department, and this is before it was works, this is when it was, um, I forget the old name now folks, but this is when it was the other agency. They literally had no clue what they were doing and they were obviously themselves not competent enough to read a job description or read the credentials of what an employer was looking for and to actually then send them suitable candidates for that job. And that again, undermines people's trust in the system. And they now are talking about, well, not only are Caymanians lazy and inefficient and ineffective, apparently so is their government departments, including works. So this is where, you know, listen, I will hold anybody to account, whether you're a Caymanian or expat equally. And this is where now I do have an issue holding um, my government to account to say that they have got to do better. Like it's just unacceptable how they allow this to happen. And when I would say it, it got so bad with me, I'll tell you what ended up happening, right? I would then say to them, listen, before you send in my name to a potential employer, why don't you send me the job first and let me tell you if I'm actually qualified to do it. That's me doing their job. Can you believe it? But that's what I had to do because I was more qualified to look at a job description and say, yes, I can apply. This is a job I can actually do than persons who are working in that area. And it's like, do you not have any experience with headhunting, um, human resources? How did you get this job? within that government agency. It really does make you wonder. So Karen says that she's so sick and tired of being told that she's overqualified. I had a very permanent accounting administrative firm. Um, I think you meant prominent, right? Uh, try to hire me at a low salary. I was like WTF. They ended up with an expat who they had to pay more when you factor in the professional work permit fee. But in the long run, they're still gonna come out on top of that, Karen, so that's why they don't mind paying it, right? So here's the thing, Karen, this is a very interesting point that you make. And funny enough, I was having a discussion over the weekend um, with someone else, and they also were saying this exact same thing. They're, they're saying it's nonsensical um, to tell someone that they are overqualified for a job if they can actually do the job. And I said, well, listen, this is a logic. I'm not saying that it's right or wrong, but this is the logic that uh, the employer will use. They will say, if I hire someone who is overqualified for a position, what that means is that person is not going to stay in the position for long. This is their fear. They're not going to stay in the position for long because they're always going to be looking for that higher salary, as Karen has rightfully said. 
and um, they'll take the job because, okay, they just need a job at this moment in time. But when something better becomes available, they will be jumping up and leaving that job and moving on to greener pastures. I understand that. I'm a business owner and I do understand the logic behind that. But I also understand that in most instances, this you're overqualified is actually being used as a way in which to simply disregard someone who is definitely qualified for the position, right? To discard their resume and put it in bin file number 13, where it just disappears into this, you know, eternal black hole, or it gets thrown in the garbage. Now, I have heard of situations, and I've had people working, even in the restaurant business, there's this very popular restaurant on the waterfront, and there was a guy there who was supposed to be, you know, he's the manager. And of course, he's a foreign manager. And what he would do is anytime he got an application from a Caymanian, it would go straight into the garbage. And one day, a Caymanian who worked there saw this, took a photo of the garbage bin, or, you know, sometimes he'd stick it like in the bottom drawer and act like it just didn't even come in. And they sent me some photos of this and I was absolutely shocked and flabbergasted that people could be so incredibly blatant with their actions. And then they tell immigration, well, no Caymanian has applied. And immigration's like, oh, okay. Well, we don't have an unemployment issue here in the Cayman Islands. If these jobs are being advertised and no one is actually applying for them, and that is why I think it is definitely imperative for any Caymanian who applies for a job to inform the respective government agency, and right now it's works, that you have actually applied for said job. That's why mandatory registration made sense from the onset. It's the only thing that would work and the only thing that would make sense. Now, Karen, to your point, right? I know of another situation, this is an IT company that hired someone that was woefully underqualified. I don't even know if that person even finished high school, but you know, they were good with computers and they had some skills. And then their logic is, okay, we will train you. We'll give you opportunities to take IT courses. You'll get on the job experience. You'll be trained into a higher position. <coughs> Sorry, well, five years into the job, they were making the same salary that they started out as. There were no um, upskilling opportunities presented to them. They were never given the opportunity to go to school or to take any courses or none of that. And that is one of the reasons why someone who is underqualified is oftentimes for an employer a much more attractive applicant. I can hire you for less money. I can promise you the world, never deliver. And no one is going to hold me accountable for never delivering on my promise, because that's just how it works. Fabian, good morning to you. Um, Fabian says the optics is perceived by certain immigrants from metropolitan areas um, that they get the preference despite white and blue collar jobs, including rent paid and allowances, Fabian, AKA Rambo. So listen, Fabian, we need to look no further than our own government who has set the um, standard 
for how this is to be done. So our own government for many, many years imported foreign labor and gave them a higher salary, gave them benefits such as one travel ticket home per year, will move you, the family, the furniture, the dog, everything to the Cayman Islands at the government's expense, expense of the people. And all of that is to what they claim is to attract top-rate candidates. Yet when it is their own Caymanians who are applying for said jobs, what do they do? The government's expense. My, apo my apologies. I'm just um, checking the feed here. What do they do? They do nothing for the Caymanians except, oh, this is your salary. They're not going to give you anything else. I was speaking to a young lady recently and she was talking about, um, you know, how she was aware and funny enough, she's not a Caymanian, but she's been here long enough. Now she has status. And she was really painstakingly aware of the difference between people that they recruit from overseas and they bring in and the benefits package that they get, the salary package that they get and so on versus what a person living here in the Cayman Islands, a local person in most cases would actually be offered. And the packages are not the same, I assure you. Sometimes they take care of housing for a number of months for persons that they are bringing in. So Alric, I don't know if he'll be back with us before the show ends at 9.30, but you know he was talking about in a professional capacity, even within the law firms, opportunities that you do not have available to you um, are a direct result of the fact that the training contracts are being given, oh yeah, they're gonna give you articles because that's the bare minimum. But the really good training to get you to go up that corporate ladder, you're not gonna get the opportunity of, you're not gonna get to work with the best of the partners in the law firm, that's gonna be reserved for labor that they're actually imported in, importing into the Cayman Islands. Uh, Debbie says, name one country that promotes the success of foreigners over their own people. I am waiting. The Cayman Islands. The Cayman Islands does it. Pretty much. Sue McLaughlin says, so right, Sandy. Uh, lots bring in their friends here all the time. It's a fact. I see it time and time again. Darlene says, with no disrespect, after the massive grant of Caymanian statuses in 2003, the uh, indigenous Caymanians were not needed. So the easy way out was to um, continue to call them lazy so that the status holders that include and continue to include the business people could import their family and friends to take the jobs with no disrespect, created unemployment for indigenous Caymanians and foreigners uh, being, being living in the Cayman Islands for 10 years or more, cheap labor, more poverty. And I can't see the rest of your message because it does get cut off at some point on the screen. Let me say this, Darlene, and this is where the political arm, and as you know, you guys know, Alric is running for um, uh, candidacy in the 2021 election. This is where the political arm now plays a critical role and where we have to keep an eye on them with a magnifying glass, right? Interestingly enough, the premier of this country has said that it is important for us to continue to grow. This is the Honorable Alda McLaughlin and to bring in foreign labor because bringing in foreign labor and foreign business helps provide opportunities 
four Caymanians in the support roles. I can't remember exactly where the premier said this, but when he said it at the time, I was so flabbergasted at what he was actually saying. And I was shocked that nobody else picked up on the point. He didn't say, bring in foreign businesses because this is gonna create management and professional level opportunities for Caymanians. No, he said, this is going to, to create, and I think he even gave examples in his quote, this is gonna create opportunities for Caymanians in positions such as secretaries, messengers, and other administrative roles. Now, that is the equivalent of your parents telling you, you can only go so far in life. Like, honey, you know what? You're, you're smart and we have a lot of opportunities. You're gonna be um, a street sweeper. Not that there's anything wrong with being a street sweeper, but they have just put a cap on where you're gonna go in life. And to, for you to be the leader of a country, and you put that message out there to say to you, I mean, you gotta think, young Caymanians are listening to this man. Young Caymanians perhaps are looking up to him as someone to admire. Most importantly, he is setting policy. He's making policy decisions. His government is pushing through laws and his honest thinking is, this is how he feels and how he thinks, is we need an influx of foreign labor. We need foreign companies coming into the Cayman Islands because that helps the economy to grow. But the sector in which you as a Caymanian will benefit is at the bottom ring of it, being a messenger, being a receptionist, and maybe being a secretary. He makes no mention of management um, potential, becoming a partner or going high up the scale. He did not mention those jobs. And so, to me, that's shocking that he would have actually said it and put it out there. And it would make me as a voter in this country pause and think about, hmm, wow, this is what the premier actually thinks of us. This is as far as we can go in these industries. I mean, the Cayman Islands has tons of money coming in from financial services and all of the things that support that. So fund administrators, company administrators, law firms, accounting firms right? And the most that we can hope for is supportive roles, not ever moving up that corporate ladder. So speaking of the corporate ladder, Alric is back with us. Thank you, Alric, for joining back with us. So I was just going through some of the comments here, Alric, and I remembered that quote that the premier shared um, a number of years ago. And I must say uh, that I was very, very disappointed to actually hear the premier say that. I don't know if you recall him saying that or not. I, I don't recall him specifically, but I, I do recall that, that comment being made um, that somehow, you know, Caymanians should be happy with the lower level administrative positions, which th there's nothing wrong with having an position, but we need to place value on our qualified Caymanians as well. So we can't have an admin position reserved for all Caymanians. Right. We, we need to have that infrastructure that supports our qualified and trained Caymanians as well. But the message seems to be that, that we can only get the low level positions. Mm -hmm. Now, um, thank you so much guys for your comments. I do see quite a few have come in. So I do want to get through some of these 
Um, Linda says, good morning, Sandy. I thank God for you every day because you're the only one that speaks up for us. You're our voice. Thank you. Well, Linda, thank you so much for um, your support. Might I just say at this point, folks, you guys know, um, many of you will know that I was found guilty in August of allegedly, well, I guess it's no longer allegedly, the court is of the opinion that, you know, I'm guilty of it, um, of supposedly harassing Mr. Matthew Leslie with a podcast that I did and one other post. It was two very specific things uh, that was before the court. And so I've got a sentencing hearing that is coming up here shortly on November the 6th. And um, when I see a comment like Linda's, I do appreciate that comment. And I do wish to inform you guys, for those of you who wanted to know a little bit about the process and where we're at, we're in the middle now of making our submissions for sentencing. So I want to thank there have been a number of people that have come forward already and provided me with references. Um, these are character references for the judge to consider in his decision-making process of what happens. So um, there is in the law, the, the offense is section 90 of the ICT law, which could be anything that you do using an ICT device, which is just computers or your phone or whatever, right? So because it was a podcast, obviously, that was online, it was fairly easy in some respects to prove. And um, it's also a bit of a low-lying offense and that it doesn't take much actually to be found guilty of this. And people are found guilty of this every single day in court. But because we had taken it to grand court, because I did want a judge alone. Um, well, there was more than one reason why I went to grand court, but um, it does carry the possibility of a prison sentence. So the uh, defendant has, uh, not the defendant, my apologies, the victim has asked for a prison sentence. He actually wants me to go to jail for a number of months. And so we're gonna talk about some of those things as we go on. There's certain things, I can't share the documents or anything like that because that would uh, run afoul of the um, bail conditions. But at some point after this case is over, I think we need to have a deeper conversation. But Linda, thank you. What I would say to you, like Linda and others listening to the program, um, if you wish to do a reference letter on my behalf, I would appreciate it feel free to contact me on WhatsApp 324-1612 and I'll give you further instructions from there on how to do that because I think it's important. The judge only got to hear what the lawyers put forward. The prosecution actually did a very good job in this case, I must admit. I'm gonna give them credit where credit is due. And so they put forward an image of me meant to portray that, you know, um, I'm this type of person. So the judge doesn't know anything about me, he doesn't know anything else. And so one of the critical things about a reference letter is to give him an idea of who I actually am as a person and the purpose that both myself and Cayman Law Road serve within the community. So I just wanted to throw that in there. I thought that might be a good opportunity to do that. Um, so Romelia says, years I've been reporting this, our government keeps silent. Is it because they are getting theirs under the table rewards? I'm living proof. This is why I decided to work for myself. Well, Romelia, there are talks of people getting all sorts of payouts under the table. Um, I do not know. I don't have any concrete evidence of that because obviously if I did, it would be on Cayman Road. But I think that there's a number of reasons why our own people tend to hold us down. And I think that there's certain people in this community, such as an Alden McLaughlin, who probably came from humble beginnings himself, but once he has acquired and reached a certain position in life, 
his remit or his belief system changes, or maybe it was always that way, I don't really know. But he is not now about pulling up Caymanians by their bootstraps. So he's not saying, I need to make sure that someone who comes after me, like an Alric Lindsay in the legal profession, has every available opportunity to, you know, um, hone in on his, on his craft and to go to the top if that's what he wants to do. He doesn't believe that there should be equity partners in these law firms. And that's why they are now trying to push through this legal services bill that is going to basically allow non-Caymanian legal workers outside of the jurisdiction to, before it was illegal for them to be working in the way in which but they, they were doing it anyway. And there was a $200 fine. Nobody was enforcing that. The government is well aware of it. But not only have they not been enforcing it, but now he's going to be happy enough to put through legislation where they remove that entirely and they grandfather in all of these people who've been working as lawyers, practicing Cayman Islands law outside of the jurisdiction. And if you don't think that that's going to have a real impact on Caymanians in this jurisdiction and their ability <coughs> to do their jobs and to move up in positions, I want you to think again. Trust me, it will have an immense impact. So um, I know Alric can't talk too much about that. I'm getting a little bit of feedback on your end, Alric, but I know he can't speak too much about that because um, you, I don't know if you have more than one window open, but um, because he is actually, actually actively involved in a lawsuit against the government. Um, Sue goes on to say they couldn't do that years ago, jump from job to job, but they do now all the time. Um, I think it's something that's actually lessening Sue because opportunities are just not there. Um, so Ian says, I recently lost my permit on renewal to Cumanian who has less experience and less education. So I would say that it can work. Wow, Ian, I don't know what industry you're in, but I can tell you that that is highly unusual. So you may think in your instance the system works, but I could point to 50 other examples where it actually doesn't work. So just remember that just because we see one situation, that doesn't prove the rule. That could very well be the exception. Um, Darlene, what permit holders having two, three, and more jobs? Bruce says the same types of problems exist in the UK. When I was in the UK, there were complaints about Eastern Europeans coming to the UK, taking away jobs. And I've said this before, I don't think this is necessarily something that is unique to the Cayman Islands. I think really what happens here is that we feel it more because of the size of our population. So Bruce says the Department of Work and Pension released a report which concluded UK citizens were unemployed because of issues around basic employment skills, initiatives, and motivation. And I'm not saying, Bruce, that that is all in the Cayman Islands. What I'm saying is when we actually import persons in and we have this system of over 50% of our population is imported in on work permits. There should be no examples that I should be able to point to of qualified companions not getting job opportunities, not getting training opportunities, not being able to and the like without um, 
them having those opportunities available to them. There should be no opportunities, you know, there should be no examples then of Caymanians who've not been able to move up the ladder who are working extremely hard. So I completely understand that these are issues that are facing the world. And yes, we have employment skills issues without a doubt. We have people who are not, uh, they don't have the right motivation <clears throat> and work ethic without a doubt. But there are people who do in a jurisdiction where you've got more than 50% of your population on work permits. So those people who have all of the things that are required should never be in a position where they can't find a job. And the day that that is eliminated 100%, then I want to focus our conversation of this nature on the 2%, the 5% who are underqualified, you know, not properly motivated, don't have the proper work ethics and so on. Yeah, I think that, that wide brush of Kimayans being lazy is being used as a tool to simply not employ Kimayans. I, I don't know what you're saying. Um, and I, I do agree that there is a lack of motivation here. There's a lack of support for Kimayans. There's a lack of infrastructure. There's a lack of enforcement of the immigration regulations. And there's a situation where I don't think the immigration law is strong enough, especially when it says that the applicant may have a training program for Kimayans to get the practical experience to take over. When it should actually say shall have a program, so there seems to be a strong legal obligation in, in the immigration law. So may have a program, should be changed to shall have a program. And we, we do need a system of, of the government that actually speaks positively to, towards K-Mayans and actually encourages the hiring, hiring of K-Mayans instead of constantly promoting this idea that we can only get people, good people, if they're coming from overseas. We have very good people here. We have very good people who have gone to work overseas and who have come back and who are still being held back. So we need to get rid of, rid of this idea that somehow KMIs have less value, you know, than other workers coming in. I, I don't have an issue with other workers coming in. My issue is KMIs should have the same opportunities and the same push and the same motivation and direction towards hiring and promotion that is offered to other people coming in with less experience. So when people talk about K-Mines having less experience or less education, in many occasions, that is not true because the person who's coming to K-Mine often has less experience than the K-Mine. And the K-Mine often has to train the other person coming in. So th there is a big misconception and um, false perception that there aren't qualified and competent Caymans and experienced Caymans to take over roles. We, what we have done as a country is to change that requirement under the immigration law to look at Caymans first. We've changed that to an industry practice of having overseas workers as a preference for jobs where they are aggressively hired, 
trained and promoted. And as a result, Cayman is a dream come true for people coming in. Mm-hmm. It's not a dream come true for the average Caymanian. Okay, well, Mr. Walton says, um, Sandra, this has been a talking point um, forever and a day. Please say who are the persons trying to fix this problem that do not have a political agenda or align politically. We need some non-political persons looking out for Caymanians' own. How does this How does this work, um, Alric? I mean, obviously you're in the political arena, so maybe you have a better idea of how this is fixed non-politically. How is this fixed non-politically when the it, politicians it, drive the policy? So the, the issue is controlled by, by policy and industry practice. So mm -hmm. the policy is basically the immigration regulation. And if you have an immigration regulation that says the work permit renewal applicant may provide a training program rather than shall provide a training program, we have a policy problem. And then when you have a, a government that constantly promotes the in influx of foreign workers with total disregard to the competent and qualified KMIs that are available. And then you have the companies themselves that have a preference for people from their own jurisdiction, from their own backgrounds, um, then collectively it's a huge problem. And it is a political problem because in order to, for policy to be enforced, we need the government to enforce it. So only the government can enforce it. Only the government can change the law slightly so that they are, you know, that there is an obligation that says shall provide a training program. So it is totally polit political because I don't know any non-political body, um, you know, other than the big firms that will lobby the government. I don't know any other non-political body they could actually influence this policy decision. It is totally political. Okay, so um, Karen says, I know of experienced qualified Caymanians who train expats to supervise them. Absolute BS. Um, I'm not anti-expat, but I'm pro-Caymanian. I will train a Caymanian any time of day. If you have the privilege of being granted a work permit and possible higher salary, you better know more than me. Simple. And I hear this story every single day that sometimes uh, Caymanians are being trained to not only supervise their own bosses, but they're also being trained to supervise someone who eventually will take their job. Um, Shante, I think that's how it's pronounced, says the new politicians are no different, looking out for others and not their own. New day, same thing. Um, Emmy says maybe because he knows that the education's out the window, going to school is a giant joke. I'm not sure, Emmy, who he is. I don't know if that's you're referring to Alden. Um, but there are lots of people who take education very seriously, actually. Uh, Jess is in agreement with Karen. She says, I agree with you 100%. Too many times, as soon as they're trained, we the commandants are at the door. Yes, that's quite, uh, I've heard of that story more often than I should. Um, thank you so much, Linda. Do send me a WhatsApp message, 324-1612. Um, Sue, thank you for clarifying your point. Siobhan says the feedback is making it hard to understand you at times. 
Yeah, I'm not sure why um, I keep having to mute Al Rick's mic. I'm not sure why this time he has feedback. We didn't earlier, so. Do you have another app open that's using your mic, Alric, like a Zoom app or anything else? Because sometimes if you have multiple apps, that will cause the feedback. Um, I had Skype open because I had a conference call. I, I just closed it. Yeah, that will probably um, take care of the issue. Um, Sue says, it's not a joke for all kids. Maybe some teachers are bad at teaching. Um, you know, education is a whole other conversation that we definitely need to have. Um, Sharon says they don't want to change the word. Um, I'll do me a favor, see if you have another browser open for this show as well, because there's something definitely going on that's, I think, using your mic and giving you feedback in more places than one. So Sharon says they don't want to change the word to shall because they simply want the work permit money, same reason why our education system is not to such high standards. And politicians campaign, they make promises, came on as first, and then they forget about us. So um, Alric, we cannot, of course, ignore the fact that you are a political candidate running for North's, um, Georgetown South, my apologies, I was about to say Northside South, <laughs> for Georgetown South. And of course, the question that has to be in everyone's mind this morning is what will you do differently than um, any other politician were you given the opportunity to represent the people that would make a difference? It's simple to enforce the law. I would make a change in the immigration regulation uh, from me have a training program to shall have a training program. I wouldn't, I would not allow so many exemptions to the requirement to register the jobs and work. Uh, I may even have the whole work system change because I understand that a lot of applicants and, and new registrants are having issues mainly in relation to user-friendly um, concerns. So, so I would change parts of the immigration regulation to, from May to shall um, to, to make it an obligation to have a training program in place. I would make sure that any new applicants, new K-Mine applicants for jobs get their voices heard in terms of having their letters, their job letter applications copied into immigration and having that person in immigration accountable. So if the person just, um, you know, ignores the fact that there was a Cayman qualified for the job and their resume is not put forward to that company or they, the person isn't interviewed, then there should be some repercussions for, for not having that accountability within immigration itself. So I don't think a whole pile of changes need to be done. I just think some small tweaks need to be done to the immigration regulations to change anything from may to shall, and then actually enforcing the law. Because the problem we have in Cayman is that the law isn't enforced. In many cases, we see this in, in different sectors. And, you know, your, your viewers, are correct in saying that new politicians always come along and say they're gonna do this or, or do that. It happens all the time. And I can tell you that long before election, some of these politicians, some of these candidates are having meetings with very wealthy people and influential people in the industry who want things to remain the same. So if you're a candidate, you need to just walk away 
from, from those things because if you take those opportunities from very wealthy people and very influential people to help your campaign, you are you basically have to have to you, you're gonna have the feeling like your interest is now special interest and not the interest of the people. So what I would say is if you if you're a candidate, you need to remember that you are going to be a public servant and your interest is the interest of the Cayman Islands. And that is my interest. I have no no interest in and in, you know dealing with or taking anything from any influencers in the Cayman Islands that would make it difficult for me to make decisions. So I think I think the other thing of, of note, um, Alric, that might assist people um, when they're even thinking about you as a political candidate is as I mentioned earlier, Alric has mounted a legal challenge against the government. So this is someone who in his own right is willing to stand up to the powers that be, including the Attorney General of the Cayman Islands and the government as a whole, and say what you have now done in a professional realm, uh, particular to attorneys, um, allowing a particular situation which we have discussed before in this program to take place is wrong. There are some constitutional and legal issues potentially here, and I'm going to challenge the system and challenge your ability to do this. And yes, this is obviously directly going to benefit Mr. Lindsay himself and help him, but challenging the system benefits other people as well, and it will benefit other attorneys who are struggling to get a piece of the pie. So I think it's worth noting that um, Alric is someone who's not just sitting down talking the talk, He's already demonstrated by way of his actions that he is willing to fight uh, for himself and for other people who are being disenfranchised. Yeah, I mean, obviously I can't talk about an active case, uh, but definitely uh, you do have to take action if you, you feel there's a, a constitutional or other issue. I, I, I know a lot of KMIN say they're gonna get blacklisted, they're not gonna be able to get another job, you know, they have a family to feed. But the thing is, you, you have to start acting collectively uh, as a whole group, because when people come into Cayman, they tend to act as a group, they tend to act collectively, and they tend to get ahead and use, use their network. So Caymans need to start active co collectively, because if you act individually alone, you know, the, the big companies will just pick you off the mm. government will pick you off. So collective action is, is, is going to be the key going forward. I know some commands will say, well, this is not really my problem. Mm -hmm. this, this doesn't really impact me. The point I'm making is, is that if you don't, if you feel you're being violated and, and you don't challenge it, then the issue, the issue is going to be taken as okay in other sectors and the economy. So that's one of the reasons that we must start acting collectively and mounting challenges so that the same thing doesn't happen across the industry. To mm -hmm. other well, Bruce makes the point that um, the job description is designed to discourage Caymanians from applying for some jobs. And Bruce, this is something that has gone back for many, many years. I've already talked about this on this program. I gave um, CashWiz as an example with um, Felix Manzanares, how he was managing the um, the pawn shop here and they wanted to bring someone in for, from overseas. So when they advertised the job, they put in all of these credentials that supposedly this person needed to have 
which were inflated and not really required for the job. Like they wanted you to have, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of repairing jewelry to run a pawn shop. It was just absolutely over the top and ridiculous. And, you know, over the years, Bruce, what I've actually discovered is that in fact, our immigration, even before it was now transformed into works, our immigration department had compliance officers that um, their role is supposed to be to review these job descriptions with a view to highlighting ones that are um, specifically drafted in such a way to discourage real applicants from applying. And we see this all the time. I'm sorry, Alric, I had you muted to cut back on the feedback you were saying. Oh, I'm sorry, it looks like he's actually on a call. Let me just, I'm gonna just pull you out of the stream for a quick second. But yes, um, so Bruce, that is a regular occurrence, uh, happens all the time. Now, now that works is there and people have to upload their job descriptions, does that mean that um, persons will still be, um, you know, the employers are, are still going to be putting in these types of job descriptions and it's getting a pass from the works department? That is yet to be seen. I would really love to know. So Damien says, that it's especially happening in the hospitality industry, I've yet to see Cayman in management in one of our most influential sectors of the economy. Hmm. Damien makes up 30% of her GDP. During COVID, um, <clears throat> the premier did make the observation that uh, perhaps this is an opportunity for the Cayman Islands to now recognize that we can uh, retool ourselves in the hospitality industry during COVID, uh, getting ready for if, you know, eventually when we come out of COVID. And this is, trust me when I tell you, COVID is not gonna be a, a short term journey by any stretch of the imagination. I was watching some stuff for the weekend, we'll talk about in tomorrow's show, about how effective a vaccine will even be. And there's some concerns about how we'll get back to the new normal, because we're never going back to where we were before. So Damien, just as a point to also mention that there are a number of um, individuals who have brought to my attention some of the top you know, uh, properties on island do not have management people in position, not even for commanding as managers, not even for housekeeping. And those housekeepers will hire their own and so there's a lot of concerns and issues there as well. So Aliano says, uh, we need better common sense labor laws. These revenue from immigration fees uh, needs to go towards better schooling, public schooling, employment enforcement should an all around issue from the individual ability to live and work with strict no BS means no loopholes. So um, Aliano supporting, I think what Alric has just said, which is tighten up the existing laws that are in place and, um, you know, <laughs> cut, cut the loopholes out. So Mr. Walton says there are many laws and regulations out there that are not enforced because it's almost impossible to do so. Uh, sounds good saying that you're going to affect change. I wanna hear about enforcement. Um, any comments on enforcement, Alric? The problem is, that, the problem is before election, the candidates are influenced by special interests. That's the number one problem. Number two, when they actually get in, they do not have the will
to enforce. So the will, the, the lack of will to enforce uh, plus the influence and special interests causes nothing to be done. And so uh, our goal and our intention is to enforce the law. I mean, it, it just takes the will and the action to enforce the law. Well, there you go. Uh, Mr. Walton, willpower. And unfortunately, um, if you do not have um, the willpower to get it done, then nothing will happen. So Darlene is asking about Sharon Rolston's situation at Works Department. Huh, Darlene. How did you get that little nugget of information? Um, so that's a whole other show, I'm pretty sure of that. But Sharon is no longer heading up um, the works department. And there are some concerns about actually what happened to Sharon. So what I can say at this point is that perhaps um, one of her biggest offenders when it comes to not treating Caymanians right is actually her own government. We've talked about this before, folks. We've talked about a young lady who left her civil servant job, uh, management job of being in human resources for years because they gave an expat a job that her and other way more qualified Caymanians applied for. But because he'd been acting in the position for six months or whatever it was, which they gave him the acting job and then told him, oh, get this little HR diploma certification, <clears throat> persons who had master's degrees in HR, years of experience managing teams, et cetera, were passed up for the job. So this is a perfect example of how our own government will screw us. And when they took this to tribunal and the government was found to be in the wrong, what do they do? Typical of government, they keep fighting you. And the God's honest truth is government has a bottomless pit of resources, money, lawyers at their disposal under the attorney general's office. And so they can fight you into the ground with your own money, with the people's money, by the way. And that's exactly what has happened with this situation with, um, I'm trying to remember her name now. Uh, she's an Ebanks, um, Sheena, I think it is, Sheena Ebanks. Yeah, so the tribunal actually found that government was wrong, that government should have hired the most qualified persons for the job which was not this American guy that they gave the job to, it was two Caymanian women. And when one of those women decided to challenge the Cayman Islands government legally, here we are, how many years later, and she is still fighting uh, with the government. And there are legal documents, folks, if you're interested in reading up on this, that you need to re read up on this. So when you talk about, um, for example, Mr. Walton, the fact that you know this government, you're asking political questions, like how how is it possible um, that the government isn't doing anything or what should the government be doing? I wanna refer you to cause number 39 of 2018 in the matter of an application for leave to apply for judicial review. And this is between uh, Christian Saku, the chief officer of the Ministry of Education, Youth, Sports and Agriculture, that's the applicant, and the Civil Service Appeals Commission. So the Civil Service Appeals Commission found in favor of Mishina, the government lawyers up <clears throat> and decides to fight her, uh, putting Alva Saku's brother, which is beyond ironic, 
Christian Saku in the hot seat. Let me show this to you guys because I wonder if you don't actually even know anything about this case. I've mentioned it here on the program before. And folks, this is why you gotta pay attention to what is happening in this country. Your own government is holding you down and fighting you at every opportunity. So let me show you this document. Here we go, can everybody see that? Um, I'm gonna just make it full screen, give me one second here. There we are, consent order. All right, this is the government. <coughs> My apologies, Sheena goes to the Civil Service Appeals Commission, wins her case, hmm. And then what does the government do? The government turns around and sues the Civil Service Commission to say, no, you got it wrong. The decision of the respondent dated the 12th of December, 2017, and this order dated the 20th of December, 2017, be squashed. This is what they want the court to find. The matter be remitted to the respondent for determination. No order as the cost. So what this is, this is the government basically saying that the Civil Service Appeals Commission got it wrong and she should have never gotten the job. Now, let me tell you how this situation gets even more interesting. You wanna talk about why it's important to hire people that are not going to be duplicitous. You know what I mean? Let me, let me break it down for you. When I use a word like duplicitous, what I'm talking about is these people are Spanish machetes. Our elected officials mean us no good. So here's what I know as of February of this year before the pandemic took over, right? The board, the new board, so the Civil Service Appeals Commission <clears throat> has a new board, which is appointed by this government. Pay attention, folks, I don't want you to miss this, right? So the new board has since quashed the ruling of the previous board that was in her favor. People, wake up. They said they are um, rehearing the case, but listed no law or grounds for doing so. Now, I want you to take a minute and just think about who is a member or who is the chairperson of the new board. I'm gonna pull up a picture here because if you guys do not understand the seriousness that we are in as a country and why you've got to stop electing these jokers to political office who are cutting you off at the knee, I'm gonna show you why I say what I say, right? Who has the government appointed as the new chairperson for the Civil Service Appeal Commission? Wait for it, wait for it. Let me pull up his photo here. Here we go. I couldn't make this stuff up even if I tried. Look at that, folks. Hugh Moses. Huh. He's the chairman of the new Civil Service Appeal Commission. This is also a man who has received 
a government contract, his law firm, to collect debt on behalf of the HSA. Like, I don't even know how he gets appointed to such a board. This almost seems like a conflict of interest. And recently, at the very beginning of COVID, his law firm got rid of a bunch of people. And guess who they got rid of first? The Caymanians. Some of them who had worked with him for some 20 years, who had followed him from his previous law firm. So, hmm, best possible decision as chairman of this board? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, the Ministry of Education is bringing the um, appeal, the Civil Service Appeal Commission to court saying that they overreached and that they don't have the remit to do what they've done. And by the way, this is a recurring theme with this government. They said it with the LGBTQ issue. Chantal got a ruling in their favor. No, 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 no. Chief Justice and the court has overreached. They did it with the decision on the um, the port referendum issue with CPR. No, 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 no. A decision is against us, they've overreached. So every single time that people challenge the government of the Cayman Islands and the government loses, the premier allows the attorney general, not just allows, the premier dictates and instructs the attorney general to levy a case against the people and against the court for overreaching. And that is exactly what they're doing in this case as well. They're saying that the Civil Service Appeals Commission doesn't have the authority to tell government that they got it wrong. Well, what's the Appeals Commission there for then? I don't understand. Because they said, shouldn't have hired him. He was not the most qualified candidate. And in fact, all of the interviewing notes, he didn't score as high on, he didn't score as high in having um, all of the required credentials and the works. This is when you gotta call it straight up BS. And this is the political arm folks. So um, Mr. Wilton, when you're talking about electing new people, how will it make a difference? This is where it makes a difference. This is where the political arm should not be trying to do this. This is ridiculous, but this is what they're doing regardless. Um, well, it's funny enough that the new board has squashed the previous board's decision. So I don't know um, how that even works now because obviously, you know, any lawsuit or judgment would have been based on the original decision of the board. So the new board claims that they're going to rehear it. Yeah. It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy how they can twist and manipulate the law uh, in their favor. I'll have to see if we can get an update on where we are with this. But Bruce says um, about independent skills testing. Bruce, we're going to eventually get to those types of conversations because, yes, education and skills assessment and testing and upskilling is important. But what we have here, Bruce, Sue, Darlene, all of you listen to what I'm telling you. The Cayman Islands government has had qualified individuals apply for positions and they have cut them off at the knees and not given them the position. Ian, going back to you when you say the system works, I'm telling you, I have numerous examples of where the system does not 
work. And not only does a system not work, but when it does, when a decision is held to be wrong and you think, okay, the system is working, here comes Alden on his big white horse about to overturn or attempt to overturn every single decision on the legal basis that you don't even have a right to make this decision. You don't have a right to tell government who to hire. You don't have a right to tell government that their own section of the public service management law, which says the most qualified person should get the job, you don't have a right to tell them this needs to be enforced. And he was not the most qualified person. It was either Sheena Ebanks or Samantha Bennett. And one of those two Caymanian women should have gotten the job over him. He was like third or fourth down the line after Caymanian. So no, my people, the system doesn't work. The system is woefully broken. And when you have politicians who sit back and allow the broken system to be you know, continually abused um, and used in the manner in which they're allowing it to be used, that is when you need to vote their asses out. And I don't care what else you think they have done right. They are doing us a disservice in this country on more fronts than one. This is why right now they're trying to push through legislation that will even deteriorate your ability to legally challenge the government by way of judicial review. Because now they're realizing, whoa, the people are starting to get smart about this whole judicial review thing. They're getting smart about how they are suing us and the fact that they can sue us. The people are finding resources. And so as we discussed a number of weeks ago, that is why the government is now seeking to change the judicature law to make it less favorable for you to be able to even bring legal action against the government. Caymanians, don't allow this to happen. Don't reelect this man in prospect just because you think he's done such a great job at COVID, which I could point out a lot of issues there. People are not paying attention and people are not listening. And then when they end up in the same boat with the same people steering it and we getting nowhere, we're like, oh, what keeps happening to us? The decision is ultimately in your hands come May the 26th of 2020. So Jonathan Misua is, is in disbelief here. She says, oh my God, unbelievable, wicked person. And Jonathan says, this is the same fellow that ran into my car and tried to side to slide his way out of paying that and it never happened. Well, I don't even know who the dude is, Jonathan, and I don't care who he is. What I'm telling you is, our government is allowing situations like this, <coughs> my apologies, when it comes to employment to happen time and time again. Alric, any final thoughts before we end the program today? Um, I just want to clarify that, um, you know, the Constitution is our highest document. Um, obviously, we know those provisions under the Constitution that, you know, give the governor and the queen uh, special power, reserve powers. But generally speaking, everything that is done is supposed to be in accordance uh, with the Constitution, or at least in the spirit of the Constitution. And uh, our Constitution generally recognizes uh, separation of powers, which is the executive, legislative, and, and judicial. So e each of those branches of government are supposed to be kept separate that, that is the reason uh, that the government had challenged the uh, 
part of the CPR decision was because the government felt that the judicial arm was attempting to legislate for a legislative arm. So that was one of the reasons, as I understand it, why the government had challenged CPR. But what, but what we find in Cayman is once the government does get challenged, often the, the rules get changed going forward so that citizens seem to have less, an, less of an opportunity to exercise their rights. One, one clear example is the freedom of information law that was amended in January of 2020. Mm-hmm. So in January 2020, what happened is, so to give you some background, before January 2020, you could request cabinet records, um, basically on two, two broad reasons. If the records were purely of a factual nature, and two, if it was a matter of public interest. So what happened in January 2020 is, is, the, is the freedom of information law was amended to remove the public interest part of it. So you cannot, you can no longer use public interest as a reason to access um, cab, cabinet's records. And worse, they made that public interest test retroactive to June 2019. So I'm I, just trying to show you when the government feels threatened about a member of the public raising their concerns, the government will go through a process of re-engineering laws going forward so that we as a people don't have that right going forward. It will also, you know, backdate the effect of that change in the law to some other date. And that that is very concerning because you would think that we would respect the rights of the public and we encourage those rights, but we're more and more we're discouraging those rights. Thank you so much, Alric, for um, for that. And I think again, this is where people need to be informed. So Sharon, thank you so much. Uh, Sharon says, thanks Sandra for putting the facts out there so that people can have uh, these kind of information when they are going to vote. And I think exactly, these are the things that make a difference whether someone, in my opinion, is actually um, a good representative of the people or not. Enough of people who are putting their own interests uh, before the people, enough of people who are putting big uh, interests, big business, these big condos, um, um, South Sound, which we are like, enough is enough already. South Sound is soon going to sink into the ocean, given the number of condos that we are putting on one l- little slither of land. You know, people have just had enough of, you know, not focusing on education, not putting the money and the infrastructure in place to address traffic woes, health um, concerns, all this stuff. But yet every turnaround, we are giving people concessions on um, duty and stamp duty waivers and building duty waivers and material. I mean, it is just absolutely ridiculous. And so those are some of the concerns that we need to be hearing from candidates who are running from, for political office. Now, some of you, including Ms. Sue, last week made some comments. You were wondering um, why on earth and I've just put the um, <clears throat> the link here for those of you who want to uh, send me some information or want to contact me about the reference letters. 324-1612 is the WhatsApp number, or you can also email us at the tips um, email address. You know, Ms. Sue was saying the other day, she wants to hear from, from some of the candidates running in Savannah 
and um, some of the other um, constituencies. And Ms. Sue, I just wanted to let you know that I have reached out to those individuals and what they have basically said to me, I said, you know, a few people are asking when they'll be hearing more from you because you've declared your candidacy. And they said not to worry, that is forthcoming, but thank you for letting me know. So um, I am not quite sure how you make a declaration of running for political office and you're not ready to jump right in. Like in my opinion, the second you make that declaration, we the people need to start hearing from you. And you know, like it or not, we have heard a lot from persons like Alaric and I'm still waiting to hear from some of the other individuals. Uh, we need to hear from, and we need to put people like Alric under pressure, under the microscope to hear exactly what his ideas are. And he can't just come on one show and give us all of his ideas and discuss everything. This is a process of getting to know these individuals who are putting themselves up for political office. So I know about the ones who are in there. I know a lot about their track record and what they've done and what they haven't done. And there are a lot of them who are failing us miserably, right? And the newcomers who are coming in saying, hey, give me an opportunity over these other people. We need to know why. Why are we gonna give you an opportunity? Why are we gonna get, we're gonna give you a vote? The only way that we can do that is through, in my opinion, and you guys can disagree with me or not here, but through a slow and meticulous process of getting to know the individual. One or two pop-ups um, on a talk show to say, oh yes, here I am, this is my great idea. That is not enough. We want to dig deeper and to have some real conversations with that individual. Um, by the way, Alric, I know that you're gonna be doing another conversations with, um, with us here shortly, so people can start to look forward to that. But we do have to wrap up the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. All right, the invitation is open always to people, elected officials, wannabe politicians, whoever you are, you are most welcome to come on the program and to share your thoughts and your ideas and your possible solutions. Like we have said before, we hear a lot of promises and a lot of ideas, but hear me out. If a person does not even have an idea, which I'm telling you, too many of these pe persons running for political office have no clue. They just wanna jump up, oh, just vote for me because I'm a nice person. Or, you know, I'm a God-fearing person, or I'm a this or that or whatever, just vote for me. That is simply not enough. We do need to put you to the test. We do need to understand what the heck it is you claim that you stand for. What are some of your solutions? What are some of your ideas? And if you don't have a clue at that early stage of solutions for our problems, so in other words, you don't even have a promise of what you're gonna do, like a concrete promise. We heard Alec today, saying, listen, folks, this is what needs to be done. We need to examine the law, and this is how specific terms, we need to tighten up the immigration law. Remove this word, shall, and put in another word. Make it compulsory to do certain things. Focus on enforcement. These are the solutions, folks, that we need to hear. This is what I'm looking for from a candidate, and I hope that you are with me on this journey as we move into 2021. May the 26th, folks, is election day. And by the way, in case you've not noticed, on the CMR page, we already have up a counter, right? So we are at, let me give you the dates here. The May election is, the page is still loading slow. 
218 days, 15 hours, 5 minutes, and 22 seconds until the next general election. So we got a lot of time, but on the other hand, we really don't have a lot of time. It takes time to get to know people. It takes time to get to put these questions to the various candidates. In the last general election, folks, we had 63 persons running for political office. Let me say it again, 63, okay? If you want to hear from 63 candidates about their solutions, their proposals, how they're gonna work together to make the Cayman Islands the best possible country in the world for you, the people of the Cayman Islands, it takes a lot of time. 63 people is a lot of people that need to be campaigning out there and need to be reaching you with their message. And a lot of them have made a declaration that they intend to run and we have not yet heard from them in terms of reaching the people at all. To me, that's a sad indictment. What's the purpose of you even declaring if you're not ready? You need to be ready. All right, good folks. That's all she wrote. Thank you so much for tuning into the program today. We had a little bit of a slow start because of the tech issues, but don't worry, Facebook seems to have sorted those out. Still moving a little bit slow, but I think it'll be fine. Big shout out to my good friend, Mr. John Douglas. Happy birthday. So happy birthday. John Douglas is 85 years young. Can you believe it? He looks good for 85. I think one of the things that keeps John so incredibly young is his sense of humor. He is a past president. He might still be the current president, actually, of the Seafarers Association. He's actively involved in that association. And every time you speak to John, he is laughing and he's going to make you laugh by extension. Um, he's just that type of person. I have known John for a very long time. Um, oh, my gosh. We go back to... Ugh, at least 20 years now. Um, we were both involved in the People's Progressive Movement back in the day as some of the founding members. Uh, we've both been obviously disappointed and disillusioned by that process. But nonetheless, um, John is very active in the community. He had a birthday celebrated over the weekend. So we wish John continued good health and for him to see many, many more. But it is a blessing for sure to reach the ripe and absolutely the wonderful age, my apologies, of 85. So congratulations to John. I'm going to put through a little phone call to him today to give him some personal birthday greetings. And all of you, likewise, who are celebrating a birthday, I wish to um, wish you all of uh, all a beautiful and wonderful birthday. Folks, tomorrow is Tuesday. We're going to have some discussions leading into the direction um, of COVID. I do see some of you messaging and coming in with your questions. So thank you so much for your continued support here on the um, CMR platform. It just popped up on my um, my Facebook. You know, Facebook does a, um, you know, the memory thing that we do every year. So I see that Facebook did a little memory here back to, I don't even know what year this was, four years ago. Um, but yes, Facebook is always popping up with these very, very interesting memories of different things that we have been involved in even before the existence of CMR. Um, I have certainly been a member of this community and um, I'm all about it. I'm all about trying to make this a better place for each and every one of us to live, including the friends that we welcome to live and work amongst us.
Folks, have a beautiful and safe day. Uh, try to stay away from any car accidents. Don't run into anybody. And by all means, don't hit people and leave the scene of the accident. We had two of those recently. One person caused an accident on Smith and uh, Crewwood, my apologies, caused a truck to overturn. And another person on, um, I think it was Thursday or Friday, ran into someone and left the scene. Thankfully, they snapped a photo of the license plate. And after we shared it, uh, the police were unsuccessful in locating them. After we shared it, the person came forward and said, oops, I didn't realize that I hit you. And uh, by the way, the person works at the credit union. So be a little bit more law abiding folks. Be a little bit more courteous to other people on the roadway. Uh, that's came unkind. It's not came unkind to hit someone and pretend like you didn't know that you hit them. It was kind of obvious from my witnesses that this person was hit. Nonetheless, they will now be taking care of the damages. Again, another mystery solved by CMR diligence. Uh, and once again, folks, if you know anything about the recent um, theft or burglary in the swamp area, by all means, reach out to those homeowners and let them know. We do have a name that we provided to them that perhaps the police can investigate a little bit further. But if you see someone walking around with a new MacBook and these other uh, watches, perfumes, handbags, trying to unload it, because we think this person probably has a drug problem and they're looking for some quick money. Do not purchase those items. That is actually a, an offense. What you should do is call the authorities immediately and identify who this person is. Someone has worked hard to have a few luxuries in life and it's unfortunate when other people um, do the wrong thing and steal from them. So folks, Again, I appreciate the love and support. Have a beautiful day. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 7.30 a.m. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of The Cold Hard Truth. Make sure to check Facebook for showtimes and more information and the latest news at CaymanMarlRoad.com. Subscribe to our IG and Facebook pages to get the latest happenings. 